Good morning, everyone. It's really good to have you here with us today as we continue on in our series together, Right in My Eye. I'm going to have the ushers come down the aisle. We're going to look at a, a story we want you to see today. So if you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand. We'll put a Bible in your hand. If you don't have a bulletin, slip up your hand. We want to make sure you have a bulletin so you know what's happening here and what's coming up and what's going on. Uh, uh, there's some of the activities or events or, or happenings that we want you to be a part of. And so you need that to kind of know. Some of you may choose instead to go, instead of using a physical Bible, you can also go on your phone to the YouVersion Bible app. It's another way to track along with us. Our notes are in there, and, and you can follow along there as well. So, question for you. What is a phobia? What is a, what is, what is a phobia? What are phobias? Oftentimes we would define a phobia by one word. It starts with an F. Anybody know? Fear, right. Uh, one medical dictionary describes a, a phobia this way, an intense but unrealistic fear that can interfere with the ability to, or interfere with our ability to socialize, work, or go about everyday life brought on by an object, event, or situation. Phobia. Now, there's many different phobias out there, and some of, some of them are, are, are super popular. Perhaps the most popular or most famous of all the phobias are cholrophobia, right? You've heard of cholrophobia, right? That's the most famous of all. That is the fear of clowns. <laughs> all right, well, maybe that's not the most popular one, but, but that's one of them. And some of you are like, that's me. Well, you've probably heard of agoraphobia, which is the fear of being trapped, which then can lead to anxiety or a panic attack. I I'm sure we've all heard of this one. There's movies named after this, and that's arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. spiders. We know that one. And what about this one? Necrophobia, the fear of not neck, not the fear of neck. It's the fear of death. Necrophobia, the fear of death. There's also glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. Now, here's what's interesting. People rank the fear of death higher than they do, or excuse me, people rank the fear of public speaking higher than they do the fear of death, to which is why I think comedian Jerry Seinfeld says it best. He says, that means for most people, if they had to go to a funeral, they would rather be in the casket than speaking the eulogy. Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you might have onphalophobia, which is the fear of belly buttons. <laughs> and then I know, I'm confident that everybody here has this one, nomophobia, which is the fear of being without our cell phone. A bunch of you are like, yeah, not me. No, I'm good. Okay, prove it. Next Sunday, I want you to show up with no phone. Leave it at home. Come up to me and let me know, because as of right now, I assume we all have nomophobia. Fear of all kinds. They're a part of our life. And our success in life, in large part, is determined by how well we manage those fears. We, we would oftentimes say that the opposite of fear is courage. And it was C.S. Lewis who said, courage is not simply one of the Christian virtues, but it's the form of every virtue at its testing point. See, we all struggle at times with fear and lacking that courage. And whether for us it's, it's maybe shrinking back 
from sharing Christ with a friend or a neighbor because of fear, or maybe we have a fear of speaking truth into the life of a friend of ours, or maybe we've made some financial decisions out of fear rather than out of a place of trust. I would guess that there are a number of people here this morning, and you've been kind of immobilized by fear in your life. And maybe right now that, that, that's the case for you. Maybe for you it's fear about your future. Maybe for some of you there's a fear right now because of a medical condition or a situation that's causing a great deal of fear for you. Maybe for you your marriage is not going well and you're fearful about what's in store in the future for you and your family. Maybe your kids are making poor decisions that have you fearful for their future. Maybe for some of you, it's a fear of entering into a, a new relationship, or, or maybe you're afraid of commitment. Maybe if there's some of you here, there's a fear of never being in a relationship. And so you're actually making decisions based on that, which is making things even worse for you. Today in Judges, the book of Judges, as we've been in, we're going to see a guy who was fearful, who was not courageous but whom God decided to make a hero nonetheless. He's going to accomplish the extraordinary because he chose to step into and lean into the truths that God said about him. And I believe this morning that that's what God's calling us to do, that God has some truth about us that he wants us to step into so that we can live the extraordinary life, the courageous life that God has for us, rather than being gripped by fear. So let's pick up this particular story. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And it's going to kick off in verse 1. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, now why, why is this the case? Because as we've learned through this series, if you've been with us, Israel had a pattern going on for themselves. After they had left the, the slavery of Egypt and entered into their promised land, Judges chapter 21 tells us this why they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And it tells us the reason is because everybody was doing what is right in their own eyes. Another translation says what's right in their own opinion. Another translation says everyone was doing right as they saw fit. And so as a result of that, rather than doing what was right in the eyes of God, they were disobeying God. And as a result of that, as we see in our story today specifically, they were suffering disaster. It kept happening to them, but today we're seeing them suffer disaster at the hands of the Midianites who have been oppressing them for the last seven years. And because of that oppression for seven years, Israel finally called out to God, and they cried out to God. So once again, God, because of his grace, compassion, and mercy, God intervened. And it was a cycle Israel had been going through for about 300 plus years, that they would disobey God because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And that, that as a result of that, the consequences of their disobedience led to disaster for them individually and as a nation. They would cry out, God would deliver them, and that cycle just went on and on and on. So here's one of those periods, one of those cycles. And it tells us in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it tells us this, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, this is a different Oprah, by the way, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, Gideon, that's our character today, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now, 
What you need to understand is that when you thresh wheat, it was supposed to be something you were supposed to do out in the open air. You're supposed to be out in the open air. You would take that, that wheat and you would toss it up in the air and then the wind would blow away the chaff, the, the, the parts that weren't good, and the good parts of the wheat, the heavier parts, would then fall to the ground. And so you had to be out in the open air where there was wind. But here's Gideon, and it tells us he's in a wine press, which means he was either down in a hole, or it means he was down in a valley where he couldn't be seen, or he was hidden somewhere in a barn where he couldn't be seen. So why is Gideon there? threshing wheat, hiding. Simple. He had Midianite-ophobia. Fear of the Midianites. He's afraid. Which makes what God's going to say next to Gideon that much more ironic and more difficult for Gideon to wrap his head around. Notice verse 12. It says this. So Gideon's hiding out. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you. And how did he address him? What are the two words? The Lord is with you. Let's say it together. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. warrior. One translation says mighty hero. To which Gideon's thinking, yeah, right. No hero here. No mighty warrior here. No courage here. I'm a wimp. You see, maybe that's the whole point of the message that God had for Gideon, that God doesn't speak to Gideon based on what he is, but God speaks to Gideon based on what he's going to make him into. Gideon isn't called by God because he's this amazing, courageous person. Rather, he's made courageous as a result of this call that God has in his life. Don't miss this. God doesn't look around and seek to call the brave. He makes the brave... He makes people brave who've been called. See, when God comes near to you and I, he never starts with who we are or what we've done. He starts with what he intends to make us into Christ. Don't miss this. Let me say it again. God doesn't see you and I. He doesn't define us by the condition that we're in. God doesn't do that. But but he calls us by what he's determined to make us, to make us into. He knows what you and I will become. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said it this way. He was confident about God's working in our life. He said, I'm confident of this, that he who began this good work in us, man, he's going to keep doing it, and he's going to carry it on, and it's going to be an amazing thing that God's going to carry on to completion. And I think that's what some of us need to hear this morning, because let me ask you, have you lost sight of who you are in Christ? Are you sitting here this morning and you need a fresh reminder of who you are in Christ? Have you lost sight of what God wants to do in your life? Have you lost sight of what God has done in your life? Have you lost sight of all the prayers that God has answered in your life? Have you lost sight of the goodness and the good that God has done in your life in the past? Because when we lose sight of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us, we'll end up making decisions just like everybody else around us. And maybe that's you this morning. You've lost sight of who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. And so as a result, your life is one where you've just kind of been blending in. You've just kind of been ordinary, even though God has so much more for you. 
So much more in store for you and so much more in store for those around you if you and I would step into what he's called us to be and who he's called us to and what he's called us to do. You see, God has something extraordinary for you. He's called you to the extraordinary. He's called you to courage. See, God shows up this morning and he says to you and I, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we're like, yeah, God, I don't think you've been paying attention to my life lately. God, I don't think you've been paying attention. Do you know how long it's been since I prayed? God, do you know how long it's been since I opened your word? God, do you know how little I show up to church? God, do you realize how far I've drifted? God, do you realize my priorities are are, are not your priorities? Look at my calendar. Look at my checkbook. I have not prioritized you or your kingdom. The question you and I really have to ask ourselves is, who who have we been believing in our life? Who are we believing? What God says about us or what the evil one says about us? Because, see, there's a person out there, the Bible calls the accuser. He calls him the evil one. He calls him Satan. And he's out there, and he's starting with who you are and what you have done, and he's defining you by that, and he's beating you up for it. He's whispering to you, you're a failure, you're a coward, you're incompetent, you're not good enough, you're reckless, you're a reject, you're faithless. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he's called the accuser of the saints, and it says there that he does it night and day, day and night, night and day. We've all heard the phrase, I think you've probably used the phrase that perceptions are reality to those who perceive them. Perceptions are reality to those who perceive them. Have you heard that phrase before? Okay, we've all heard that phrase. Here's the problem with that phrase, and I've used it myself. The problem with that phrase is it's inaccurate. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that before. It's an inaccurate phrase. It's not completely true. And ultimately, by us believing that 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 is true, it has given people permission to live in the inaccuracies of life, to live in the unhealth of life, and to live in the fears of their life. Here's a more true statement. Perceptions are oftentimes a false reality. Did you hear that? perceptions, our perceptions are oftentimes a false reality. And and it's oftentimes that we have that false reality because that accuser is accusing us. Satan is calling us by our sin and and accusing us because of our sin. But God looks at you and he calls you by your name. He says, "I, I know what you've done, but guess what? You're my beloved. You're my child. You're forgiven. You're saved. You're a saint. You're a mighty warrior. Whose voices are you listening to? God's reality? Or have you been listening to a false reality? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then Gideon responds by saying exactly what you and I think. Verse 13, Judges chapter 6, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? You see, that's you and I, right? We've said the same thing. We've had our own version of it. God, if you're so good, if you're with us, then why is all this bad happening? God, if you're for me, why is all this against me? Why are so many against me? 
God, if you're so good, then why do I still not have a job in an economy that everybody says is the most amazing economy ever? God, why am I still single? God, why can't we have kids? Why, 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 God, if you're good, why all this bad in my life? That's what Gideon's doing. That's the questions he has. It's the questions you have. But he goes a little further on in this. And Gideon says, where are all God's wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? In other words, why doesn't God do for us what he's done for them? Have you ever thought that? God, my friend, you've done so much for them. This person at my church, this person I hear about, this person I read about, you've done so much for them. God, what about me? Where have you been for, what have you done for me lately? And you know where this leads? The same place Gideon it led to. He said, but now the Lord has, and what's the, what's the word? But now the Lord has what? The Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Listen, when your eyes and my eyes are on what's around us, which is a culture, our circumstances, when we're looking around rather than looking up to God, when we're not actively seeking a daily relationship with the Lord, it is easy to conclude the Lord has abandoned us. That's that's an easy place to go. It's easy to say, well, the Lord is not present with me when I'm looking around rather than looking up. See, if you're here this morning, if you feel like, gosh, the Lord's distant. Man, I'm not connected with God like I, I want to be, like I need to be. Where's God? He's not here with me. Listen, that's more a commentary on you than it is on God. Which is why James told you and I, here's what you do. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God. And one translation says, come close to God and he'll draw near to you. So God says to Gideon, I know you don't think so, but you're a mighty warrior because that's how I see you. And I'm with you. But Gideon's not catching it, as is often the case for us. He's not catching it, and he continues to question God and wonders why all this bad is happening to him. And where is God? And notice God's specific answer to him in Judges chapter 6, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? You see, God's answer to Gideon was, Gideon, you're wondering Where have all my wonderful deeds been? Where are my wonderful deeds? Well, guess what? I'm about to do them through you. I'm about to use you, so get going. Am I not the one who's sending you out to save Israel? And I think that's a message that God has for us oftentimes. Listen, you're wondering, hey, where's God? Where's he been? What's he been doing? I haven't seen it. Guess what? God wants to do something through you. God wants to use you. He wants to see you become that person that he does the extraordinary through, the extraordinary through you. Gideon's still shocked by it, though. So he asks another question. Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? And then he gives the angel of the Lord, he gives him his resume. He says, my clan, my group, is the weakest in Manasseh. By the way, Manasseh is the weakest of all the tribes. And I'm the least in my family. In other words, uh, God, hold on. 
I'm small. I'm insignificant. I'm a one-talent guy. There's so many five and ten-talent people over there. I'm nobody. I went to junior college. My family isn't rich. I'm not talented. I'm not handsome. I haven't figured out Twitter. I have six friends on Facebook, including my alias. I have some bad habits. I'm ordinary. I'm plain old Gideon. In other words, God, you need to understand, I am right in my own eyes about my assessment of me, about my opinion of me, about my perspective of me. The question keeps coming back to Gideon and to you and I. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your own estimation of you or God's estimation of you? Reality? Or are you going to stick with a false reality? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And so notice how the Lord answers. Verse 16 says, the Lord answered. That's a good point, Gideon. Never mind. I'm clearly at the wrong house. (laughs) Church, are you ready for this? Because this might be what God wants to use today to change your life. This is huge. This is the key to everything. He says, I'm weak, I'm nobody. And God says in verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I'm with you. And that, my friends, is God's answer to every feeling of fear and inadequacy that you will ever have. That I am with you. My question for you this morning is, what would your life be like in any situation if you knew that God was with you. You have a medical situation, you're heading into surgery, and you knew, hey, God's with me. You have a a new job opportunity coming your way, and you're heading into that interview, and you know, God is with me. You you want to serve in a different way here at LifePoint, go into a new ministry, get involved with something new here at LifePoint, and you're, you're not sure about it, and you're like, you know what, God is with me. You want to talk to your neighbor, your coworker, a family member about how God's changed your life. You want to share the good news of Jesus with them. And no longer is there fear because you realize, you know what? God's with me. He's with me in this. Or maybe you're dealing with some issues or problems at home or in some other relationships. And in the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that problem that's ongoing, what if you knew? God's with me in this. If you read articles about overcoming fears, they will often say, you need to control your thoughts. Don't think about the things that scare you. Listen, peace from God comes to us a different way. And it's not closing your eyes to the things that make you afraid, but they're opening your eyes to the presence of God within you. In other words, it's a relationship thing. Fear gets put in its proper place the closer you are to God. Did you hear that? The closer you are to God, the more time you spend with God, the more time you you invest with the Lord, the more you practice being in the presence of God. Fear gets put in its proper place because the reality is fear is real. But it's magnified the further we are from God. 
the closer we are to God in relationship with him, the more that fear shrinks. You could even say it shrinks to the point where it's put in its proper place and it's put away. God says, I'll be with you, Gideon. And God's saying the same to us. I will be with you. But God's question to us, to Gideon, was will you be with me? I'll be with you, but will you be with me? I'm willing to do the extraordinary with you and through you, but the question is, are you with me? And that's why this series is so important for us, because God has given you and I incredible freedom, and freedom to, freedom to do what we want, and when we want, with whom we want, and how we want. It's the free choice that God has given us. And many people take that freedom And they live their life doing what is right in their own eyes, in their own opinion, as they see fit. And if you and I choose to go down that path, guess what? We're just like everybody else. And where that path leads is more often than not to a place of fear, to a place of anxiety, to a place of inadequacy. And when we head down that path, we miss out on the opportunity that God has for us to be extraordinary to be the extraordinary you that God created you to be, to do the extraordinary that God has created you to do because he wants to work through you, because he's chosen you, because he's with you. This was a defining moment for Gideon in his life. And God was telling him, hey, Gideon, I got to let you know, I'm not going to give you amazing gifts or amazing talents or amazing ability. In fact, I chose you. You're the least of everybody. I'm not going to give you, you know, a a one-on-one course on how to defeat the Midianites. I'm simply asking you to get out of your false reality. To get out of that and to believe it when I tell you that God is with you. And Gideon, would you simply live and make decisions like a person who is confident that God is with you? Would you be willing to take that step? Because that's all that I'm asking. And that's what God is asking of every single one of us this morning. Would you simply live your life? And would you make decisions as somebody who is absolutely confident and knows that God is with you, in you, and for you? Would you make your decisions in your life based on the fact that you are confident God is with me, he is in me, he is for me? Because if you make that choice, It will change everything in your life. Now, here's why this is so relevant and so incredible for us. Because about 1,300 years later after this story, a Jesus follower named Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul, he comes along and he writes to the Christians in Rome. Now, Rome at that time was not a safe place for Christians because there was a dude named Nero. I think a lot of you have heard of him. And Nero hated Christians, and he, he was responsible for the death of Peter and Paul and countless other Jesus followers. And so to a group of persecuted Christians in Rome, just like the Israelites persecuted under the Midianites, the apostle Paul wrote to these Christians, and he said to them and to us, he said this, if God is for who? If God is for us. If God is for us, is for us then who can be against us? It's the same thing that God said to Gideon. Gideon, I don't, I know, I know, I know you don't see yourself as a warrior, but I'm telling you, Gideon, Gideon, I see you differently. 
I see you different than you see yourself. And I just am asking you to step into the way I see you. Step out of the way you've been viewing yourself with your false reality. Because I'm with you. I'm in you. And I'm for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul's writing this, and he's jumping ahead, I think, with the next verse. And he thinks, oh, these Christians in Rome, they're not going to believe me. Uh, they're not going to believe this because they're thinking just like Gideon. Well, God, how do I actually know that you're for me? I mean, we live in Rome, and Nero's lighting us up literally and burning us up and feeding us to the animals, and things are bad all over. How do we know that God is for us? See, you've been listening to this message up to this point, and some of us have been saying, okay, I hear it. God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. God is with me, in me, and for me. But how do I know? You see, that's a question that I imagine we all have at some point. Because you can hear the reality. But what do you do with it? How do I know God is for me and for us? Paul answers that question in verse 32. Romans chapter 8, he says, here's how you know God is for us. He says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He says, you know how you and I can wake up every single day and live every single day and know that God is actually for us? It's not by looking around at our Midianites. That doesn't get us anywhere good. That leads us to going and hiding out in the wine press. It's not by looking at your circumstances around you. It's not by looking at the culture around you. On the contrary, you and I can wake up every single day with confidence that God knows our name, that he loves us, that he's with us, that he's in us, and that he's for us. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, Paul said, he allowed his son to pay the price, the ultimate price for our sin. That's how valuable you and I are to God. Now, for those who are experts at finance, or for those of you who need a finance 101 uh, teaching, let me give that to you real quick here. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. Think about that for a second. You just go sell anything, you'll figure out that principle. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. And the Apostle Paul is saying to all of us, you are so valuable to God as an individual. You are so valuable to God that he equated you with the price of his very own son. Your value to God was worth the life, the price of his one and only son. That's how valuable you are to God. Truth be told, I don't know if you're that valuable to me that I would give up my son for you. I'm just being real, and I think if you're real with me, you'd, you're like, man, I, I mean, I, I love you and all. I'm pretty sure I love my son more. My son's more. You're so valuable to God. He paid everything to get you. So how about we embrace it? How about we embrace this value, this idea, because it'll change the trajectory of your life. It'll change your life from living in a place of fear and despair and chaos to where we can begin to live in purpose and hope and courage. This idea gives us the potential to be extraordinary, to be courageous, mighty warrior. I've got something for you. 
Living like everybody else, that's not it. So quit looking around. Yeah, I know what tribe you're from. I know who you are. I know you're one talent. I know this. I know, I know, I know. That's how you see you, but I see you differently. And I'm with you, and I'm in you, and I'm for you. So what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? That's God's question today. In light of all this, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? The story of Gideon, we're not going to read the rest of it, but the story of Gideon and how does he respond, well, Gideon takes a baby step. And I imagine for some of us, that's what's going to happen for you today. You've got to take a baby step. And then God intervenes and God honors it. Gideon takes a bigger step and God intervenes and God honors it. It really is actually a great story. I'd encourage you to read it sometime. God ultimately uses the once cowering Gideon to deliver the nation because he stepped out of the pit of the ordinary. He stepped out of the pit of fear. He stepped out of that wine press. He stepped out of that false reality. His perceptions were false realities. And he stepped into who God said he was and what God had called him to do. So now you and I get to look at Gideon, and we say, yeah, this is what he was. He was sure he was a wimp, but man, how incredibly courageous. His story, it's extraordinary what God did with him and through him. Don't be confused. You and I can't work up courage on our own. It doesn't come from strength of personality. It comes from embracing our identity in Christ and who we are in Christ. It comes from a close connection with Christ. So I encourage you, if you want courage, if you want courage, draw near to God. Get close to God. When you do that, God will do extraordinary things in you and through you, courageous things. That's what he wants to do with you. So, I hope you don't settle for the ordinary. I don't think it's worth it. Don't settle for what everybody else is doing. Instead, look up. God is with you. God is in you. God is for you. So God's here. And the question is this. Will you draw near to God? Because if you will, he'll draw near to you. And the extraordinary becomes possible in your life. And all those fears get put into their proper place. Because you know you are with God. He is with you. He is in you. And he is for you. Will you draw near to him?